Hello, flight instructors and NAFI members. John Niehaus, Director of Program Development here for the National Association of Flight Instructors, and I am happy to welcome you to another episode of the More Right Rudder podcast, podcast for flight instructors on the go. First and foremost, I want to say thank you to everybody who listens to us. Uh, we are right on about 5,000 downloads. By the time this comes out, we might even be above 5,000 downloads, and we haven't been doing this very long and, and didn't really know what to expect. And the fact that uh, um, it seems that uh, those of you that are listening are enjoying it and hopefully finding the content useful, we just uh, want to say thank you so much. And uh, we really have some uh, some good ideas planned. I hope they're good ideas planned for uh, the future and uh, the expansion of the podcast. So we're really, really excited. Um, today, it's going to revolve around my discussion with Max Trescott. My, uh, it was a 10-question challenge that I did uh, a little while ago. And uh, Max was so great. He, uh, it was so much fun to talk to him and meet him. And uh, he's the, uh, the, the kind of person that I just didn't know that uh, I'd ever get a chance to talk to. So it was a really kind of bucket list item for me. And uh, so as far as the podcast is concerned, I'm going to say that this one is brought to you by Mr. Max Trescott's um, Aviation News Talk podcast. So if you're interested in podcasts, which why wouldn't you be? Because you're listening to this. Go check his out if you haven't already. Um, Aviation News Talk podcast is really, really great. Max is great on it, and I'm sure he'd appreciate that uh, that you're listening. So, um, additionally, if you don't already know, um, we have our master program, NAFI Master Instructor Program, and m- recently we just added a additional brand to it, and something I'm really excited about because I've helped to develop it. Um, but it's called our Legacy Master Instructor Program. And basically, if you haven't heard, it is sort of a, a combination of a retention program and a emeritus program. It's sort of that uh, that carrot to keep you going and give you something extra for giving back to the community as our master instructors do. So if you haven't heard or have any interest in the master program, please check out the Legacy Master and round of applause for those that have qualified already there's a whole list on the website and uh i think it's about 20 individuals that uh, that have applied or have been granted the legacy status so uh, congratulations to them so without further ado today's podcast episode is nafi's 10 question challenge with max trescott enjoy Max has been an instructor since 2001, uh, roughly equating to 19 years of flight instruction. He's a CFI, I, MEI, ATP. He's a four-time previous master instructor. He was uh, CFI of the year in 2008. He's written two books, Max Trescott's G1000, Perspective Glass Cockpit Handbook. He's got another one on the way uh, for the G3000. He's a Cirrus Platinum CSIP and specializes in Cirrus instruction along with the Vision Jet. He has been on a podcast called Aviation Geeks for six years. He's done his podcast, Aviation News Talk, for three years. And he also has a YouTube page under the same name. Max, welcome. 
Great to be here, John. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's such a pleasure to have you. Likewise. And in the traditional format, we'll just jump straight into it. Okay. Was flight instruction part of your original career plan, or was it something you never anticipated doing? Boy, it was not part of my plan. I never anticipated it. Uh, when I was in college, I thought that there were two possible uh, career options for me. One, I had worked at a number of different uh, radio stations, including working uh, directly for CBS at one point. And I was also very interested in uh, high tech. And so when I got out of school with uh, an engineering degree and a psychology degree, I, I had to choose. And I had started to fly when I was 15. So flying had always been part of my life, but I thought it would just be an avocation forever that I did for, for fun on the side. I decided not to go into broadcasting. I spent uh, 25 years in high tech working for one of the largest computer companies here in the United States, uh, first in the marketing side and then later in sales. And then after I left high tech, after about 25 years, I became full-time uh, teaching. And I had started teaching about three years before I left. Uh, I'd been teaching on weekends uh, a lot. So it was pretty easy to make that transition. I was really lucky a friend of mine named uh, Tim Johnson, who I think has subsequently moved to uh, Florida, I think he sells real estate there now, but one summer he said to me, Max, I'm getting my CFI, you should too. And I thought, huh, yeah, you're right, I should do that. So I fell into it totally, uh, you know, uh, serendipitously. Uh, and unfortunately, I already done my commercial. And so it was easy for me just to step into it. But no, never, never in my wildest imagination did I think I would become a CFI. And I often tell folks uh, when I'm giving presentations, for example, that uh, they should consider become CFIs because I think there are many great potential CFIs out there lurking among the uh, pilot population. Some of us, like me, don't realize that we could or should become CFIs. So I was grateful that Tim made that suggestion to me. And that's why I try to plant the seed with other people as well, too. Sure, sure. Now, the uh, was the CFI the catalyst for you to then leave the tech job, or what was the drive there? That's a good question. I had uh, started doing it on the side, and I always kind of knew I would have a second career, uh, and that's because in high tech, it's hard to stay there forever. I would say that as people tend to reach their 50s, they tend to get uh, pushed out of high tech or offered early retirement and things like that. Um, I actually got laid off and I was thrilled because at that point I was ready to do something else. Uh, and I uh, started a, a business that was totally unrelated. And after about two months, I just hated it. And I thought, well, I, I do this CFI thing on the side. Maybe I should give that a go as, as a full-time business. And I've never been happier. I just absolutely uh, love teaching. So reflecting on your skill with your very first students, how well do you think you did? You know, uh, this is kind of interesting. I think I did reasonably well because I had been flying for 20 years already and I had close to a thousand hours under my belt when I was teaching my first student. Uh, and I'd also taught a ground school uh, before I got my CFI. So I think I had a lot of the, the academic skills and a lot of um, just the, the raw knowledge that was required. That's not to say that there weren't some hiccups. On my very first flight with my very first student, uh, we took off from Reed Hillview Airport, which is a towered airport in San Jose with parallel runways. And we made a left downwind departure. 
And apparently we were called multiple times by the tower as we were uh, turning, but I was so busy talking that I was not keeping track of, as you know, as a CFI, the problem of, you know, talking to your client, keeping track of what's going on on the radio. And so as we were on downwind, I finally heard our aircraft being called and they said, is there a CFI on board? <laughs> and so at that point, I had missed so many calls. They thought maybe it was a student pilot. And of course, what I wanted to do was uh, you know, tell my client, say no, say no. <laughs> but of course, I fessed up and said, uh, yes, sir, CFI on board here. And he said, hey, you got to listen up. You've been missing radio calls. So uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of a rocky first flight. <laughs> well, you know, you just got so invested in teaching that, uh, you know, the outside world wasn't as important. Yeah, and I think I hadn't really fully uh, learned the uh, kind of the split brain skills that we need as flight instructors. You know, you need to be uh, keeping half an ear tuned to the radio while having, you know, the other ear, you know, tuned to your client. And it's a challenge. You know, pilots don't have to do that. So even though I had 20 years of flying, I hadn't run into that problem before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So most of us uh, have had an instructor mentor who have helped us along the way. Who is yours and, and what was the most meaningful thing they taught you? You know, I don't really feel like I had a, a mentor per se, and maybe I, you know, should have sought one out and, you know, didn't, but there was certainly somebody who inspired me. Uh, and that was my uh, very first flight instructor. I learned to fly at the, what was then called the Grand Canyon uh, State Airport in Northern Pennsylvania. It's kind of a rural part of Pennsylvania where I grew up. And Richard Johnson or Dick Johnson was the guy who did everything at the airport there. So he uh, he managed the airport for the state. He uh, did charter. He gave flight instruction. He mowed the grass. <laughs> you name it. He was, you know, the the one man at the uh, the airport. And I remember when he was awarded, uh, the, the, he he was named as the Pennsylvania Flight Instructor of the Year at one point. And I was very impressed with that. Uh, and I think in some ways that may have inspired me. Uh, you know, many years later when I became a flight instructor, the, the one thing he said to me, which always stuck with me, uh, and I was delighted that he said it, I had uh, you know, worked on my license as a teenager, and then I'd gone off to college, got, you know, finished my training, uh, and then I'd started my first job. And I was probably a year or two into that job. So I was in my early 20s. And I came back with him to fly and we went flying and he said, he said, Max, you don't fly enough. <laughs> And I thought, oh, okay. And I think that's what I kind of realized. You know, there is a kind of a minimum baseline where you really do need to be out there, you know, flying. You can't just kind of go, well, I passed my check ride and now I'm a pilot. And, you know, if six months go by and I don't fly, no big deal. And there have been you know, rare occasions where I have said that to other people as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what's the most valuable non-aviation skill you've learned as a flight instructor? Yeah, so I think the, the thing that people say to me most often is, wow, you are really patient. Uh, and so that's something that I've learned over the years is incredibly important. And I think I'm probably a better flight instructor having started, uh, you know, probably in what, my early 40s, as opposed to, you know, when many people start. Because if, you know, I think back to who I was in my, my 20s and my 30s, and yeah, I wasn't nearly as uh, patient, and I was probably... Um, 
you know, always in a hurry, always in a rush, a little bit of a perfectionist. And fortunately, I, you know, time has taken the edge off of some of those things, which wouldn't have made me as good a flight instructor. So for me, it was probably lucky that uh, I didn't come to flight instructor till I was in my, uh, my 40s and had matured in a variety of different ways. But I think patience is probably one of the most important ones because as a flight instructor, you're going to say more right rudder, you know, a hundred times to the same person over the course of teaching them the, uh, you know, the private. Uh, and I have found that by learning new things myself, such as most recently, uh, when I think of big new things, uh, getting a type rating in the, the vision jet two years ago, that really helps remind me of what the learning experience is like on the other side, which then makes me a little bit more patient, a little more uh, sympathetic and encouraging as a flight instructor when I'm teaching other people who are learning something new for the first time. Yeah, I mean, the old adage of a good instructor is always learning, um, but sort of taking it to that sort of next degree, which is if you stay in that student mindset, you always understand what they're going through. So very important because I, I think it's kind of easy sometimes to, to just think, ah, what's wrong with this person? It's like, no, no, they're, they're doing the best they can. <laughs> you just have to keep encouraging them. You know, I think that's probably another um, important skill, uh, you know, for flight instruction. And that is being both a cheerleader and a coach, kind of the, uh, you know, the chief, uh, you know, inspiration officer of, <laughs> of the company. You know, people are there to do something that's fun and you got to keep it fun, especially, you know, teaching adults, but it's probably true with, you know, teenagers as well. So I'm constantly joking with people in the cockpit. Uh, I sometimes think that I'm up there entertaining myself, you know, the process, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think clients enjoy it and I see them more relaxed as a result. And I think they, uh, you know, learn, you know, uh, more easily if we're up there having fun. Now, the flip side is you don't want to go too far in the opposite direction where there's just a lot of chatter and a lot of jokes back and forth and so on. So literally just a day or so ago, I was with somebody in the cockpit and I said, okay, let's, you know, cut it off right here. Let's focus on the, you know, the serious business at hand. So there is a, there is a, a balance that you really need to strike. Oh, 100%. I, I went to a collegiate 141 university and, and yeah. it's very regimented and, and very strict in here's what you do, here's what you don't do. Yeah. And my first instruction job was part 61. And I, I tried to go at it the same way that all of my instructors did. And, and what it took me a long time to remember or realize that the students that I had part 61 were there for a very different reason than I was. And um, I don't want to say I scared anybody off, but I definitely didn't have that fun aspect for a little while because I just didn't understand that <laughs> they were there to have fun. Um, and yeah, it was a learning process for me. So what do you enjoy most about flight instruction? Then? Uh Probably two things. One, I really help my clients. Uh, I really enjoy helping my clients achieve their goals. Uh, so for me, helping other people, you know, achieve major milestones is very satisfying. So for example, when somebody solos, I'm almost as excited as they are, you know, when they solo. I know that's not quite possible, but I still love that moment and I always look forward to it. Uh, and it becomes very satisfying. I just in the last week was flying with two different people for their instrument rating who I taught their privates. And I can't tell you how many times I grinned when I watched them land their Cirrus. And I just thought, oh man, 
those were great landings. And it's kind of fun to kind of think, yeah, and, you know, we did it together. You know, I helped you, uh, you know, achieve this. Uh, the other thing that I really love a lot about flight instructing, and uh, this is a little self-serving, I love the view. I just love watching the world go by. Uh, to me, uh, I'm always up there just checking out, you know, what's new and what's different. And uh, I'm, I'm most at peace and most happy when I'm up watching the, the terrain go by. Here in California, we've got the ocean, we've got mountains, we, you know, it's just, it's fun. There's just so much, uh, so much to see. Uh, and one of the things I discovered uh, when I started teaching in the vision jet is that, you know, the view is a little different. <laughs> you know, you have these monster windows and when you're down low, yes, you got a great view, but most of the time you're up there on top of the clouds. And, you know, that's just not quite as, uh, you know, thrilling from a, from a view standpoint. Uh, so that's why I really kind of enjoy the mixture of both. You know, I like, I like teaching in the jet because it's my favorite aircraft, uh, but I still love being down low watching the world go by, which is why I'm going to always continue to teach in pistons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So tell me about a, a interesting, fun, or scary time you've had as an instructor with a student. I have had people have often asked me, you know, have students ever done anything to you that was really scary? They seem to think that, uh, you know, as flight instructors were, you know, constantly being put in life-threatening positions. And oddly, I have never had a situation where someone's aviation skills, you know, made me feel like we were in jeopardy or at risk. Now, granted, there are times where I've, you know, saved them a lot of money by pulling back at the right time on the stick as they are about to bury the aircraft into the ground. Um, but, you know, that, that would have damaged the aircraft. That wasn't really life-threatening. The one time that I can look back and say, wow, this was a, a tough experience was I was flying with a, a gentleman who was um, a bit of a perfectionist. He always wanted to do everything perfectly, but he also had another issue, which was that he had an anger problem and it was uh, self-directed. So whenever he performed poorly, he would literally start yelling out you know, in the cockpit at himself um, in, in you know, very uh, negative kinds of uh, you know, terms. And it was, it was a, a little worrisome. I remember one night being out with him flying at night and he was a private, so we must have been doing some instrument related uh, work. And at one point he started doing this and I thought, well, maybe I can lighten the mood here with a little humor. Boy, I was wrong. That just made it worse. And so I just, the only thing I could do was just remain silent because there was absolutely nothing I could say that would uh, improve the situation. And I, I realized at that point that if this guy wanted to kill both of us, I might not be able to prevent him from doing that. I mean, I certainly thought about, you know, where my elbow might go into his body if necessary, or I even thought about, gosh, you know, if uh, it really came to this, I think I know how to undo his seatbelt and uh, undo his door. We could probably go into a steep turn in his direction if, if I had to do that to, to save myself. Fortunately, it didn't come to that. Um, but it wasn't fun realizing that, hey, you know, someone's uh, anger issues could have ended uh, my life. And that was the last time I ever flew with that gentleman. So I think the, you know, the, the key thing for flight instructors to know is that sometimes you have to fire the client. Uh, there have been very, very, very few times where I've had to fire a client. And I don't 
usually tell them that they're fired. I usually become unavailable or <laughs> things like that. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think that's an important thing to remember is that you need to choose your clients wisely. Uh, the vast majority of the time, they are wonderful. But, you know, pilots are just like a cross-section of the population. There are a few nuts out there. So you got you to gotta do what you can to avoid them. Well, and it's, it, it further emphasizes that what a flight instructor does is more than just teach. I mean, you're, you're analyzing personalities, you're making decisions, you're analyzing risk. Um, whoever thought you'd need to be a therapist to be a flight instructor? <laughs> well, that, that's the interesting thing, because I have degrees in electrical engineering and psychology. Oh. And I, I sometimes feel that the degree in psychology is the more important one when <laughs> I'm out uh, teaching. Yeah. So in your mind, what quality or skill makes for the best flight instructor? Yeah, so I think probably the, um, the number one thing for flight instructors is to just put their client ahead of their own needs. You got to think, put your client needs first. I mean, I think that's what uh, good salespeople are taught. You know, when I was selling for a high-tech company, we were always taught to, you know, look at the, the, the customer's needs and try and fulfill them. And there are times as a flight instructor where I think sometimes flight instructors will think about their own needs first. You know, maybe their need is to, you know, to build lots of time so that they can move on to the next job. And I think that's the wrong thing. I think that you have to be selfless. You have to always, uh, you know, basically put your client's needs ahead of yours. And there are going to be times when you will be in the position of, you know, having to advocate on their behalf, you know. So, for example, the flight school might be looking, you know, for one thing, the client's looking for something else. You know, if there's some middle road that you can help negotiate, uh, I think that's important as flight instructors. You know, always put your client first, always be their advocate. And I think that's probably um, going to serve you incredibly well. Uh, the other thing we've talked about before is just patience. <laughs> I think uh, as flight instructors, we need to be uh, patient and, uh, you know, also have a bit of a sense of humor. I, I absolutely agree. So for what you do now, um, how has flight instruction prepared you? Well, so I'm still a flight instructor, uh, but I do a number of things on the side. So, for example, uh, when I think about the Aviation News Talk podcast, which is uh, often ranked number one in uh, the Apple podcast app of, of the over 200 uh, podcast, aviation podcast here in the U.S., uh, being a flight instructor has really uh, you know, brought me a lot of uh, stories that I can tell, a lot of background information, helps me understand what, you know, people are going through in their own flight training. So I'm able to address all of those issues when I'm uh, talking with people on the podcast. Uh, also, as an author, uh, I chose to, you know, act, I, I could have become a full-time author, uh, but I, I, I didn't want that. I didn't want to be behind, be behind the computer all the time. So I've tried to strike a balance between staying in the airplane every week with all of my other activities. And so what I'm learning and experiencing in the cockpit feeds back both into the, to the books that I'm writing uh, so that, you know, the books on glass cockpits, you know, truly reflect uh, kind of a pilot's perspective you know, as opposed to talking about, you know, these, these are the knobs and what they do, talk more from the perspective of, you know, what is it pilots need to do and the different ways to best accomplish them, uh, you know, with the different uh, you know, controls and so on uh, that you have. So flight instructor, I think, has really uh, enriched what I'm doing, both on the podcast as well as the books that I write. Now, on a uh, piggyback to that question, how did you then leverage 
your your previous time as an instructor and, and all the things you've done prior to the podcasts and, and all of that, how did you leverage that into what you do now? So certainly I, I would say that flight instruction has been the, the core around almost what all my other activities you know, revolve around. Uh, so you can think of that as kind of the central activity and everything else is on the side. So I, you know, I'm an author, I'm a speaker, I, I create YouTube videos. Uh, so all of that stuff kind of c- comes back from flight instruction. And, you know, what I learned from flight instruction kind of feeds into and drives, you know, all of those other activities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you could give a new instructor a single piece of advice for success in the profession, what would it be? specialize. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really believe in specializing. Uh, I think that if you are truly going to become an expert in your craft, whatever that is, in this case, we're talking about flight instruction, it really pays to specialize because, you know, I, I think, yeah, you go back years ago, you know, people could be the jack of all trades, uh, you know, as a, as a flight instructor, you could teach everything from, you know, tailwheel to jets and do some crop dusting on the side. Yeah, maybe if you live in a, a, a small uh, airport uh, in a rural area where, you know, you've got to you know, take on every client who comes by because there just aren't that money. Yeah, maybe you might be the jack of all trades. But I think that, you know, in the increasingly complex world that we live in here, it really pays to specialize. So when I first started teaching for the first couple of years, I, you know, taught in the older Cessnas and, you know, Pipers we had in the flight school. But within a couple of years, I knew that I was very, very interested in the glass cockpits that had just come out. And part of that was, you know, my background was electrical engineer. Yeah, to me, that just seemed more interesting. Uh, And then as I uh, got into it, I realized that, wow, you know, these systems uh, are more powerful, they have far more safety features. And if you know how to use them really well, you can both make your flying easier, you know, and safer. So I actually changed airports in about 2005. Instead of teaching at Reed Hillview, I moved up to Palo Alto because there were no glass cockpits for rent at uh, Reed Hillview. Uh, and at Palo Alto, there were. And it was uh, probably a year or so after that where I went back to uh, the factory at uh, you know, Cessna, t- took the G1000 course, and that led me to, to write my, uh, my first book. So specializing glass cockpits really made you know, people in the local area know that, hey, if you want to know something about glass cockpits, contact Max. And so that helped, you know, feed my business. And then over three years ago, I decided to specialize further. And I said, you know, I just, I love the Cirrus. And there's an even greater need for, you know, you know, specialized teaching in the Cirrus because there are more little gotchas, more things that, you know, people need to know. And ironically, when I narrowed myself down to just teaching in the Cirrus, I got busier. <laughs> I had even more people coming to me uh, to the point where I had to raise my rates, you know, soon after that. Uh, so my experience has been specialization both benefits you as a CFI. It benefits the clients because now they're getting the best possible uh, information. And I think it also helps people from, you know, just kind of a, uh, you know, financial success standpoint as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Max, we've made it. Uh, we've gotten through the, uh, the 10 questions. Um, okay. I was hoping to give you a little bit of time here. Uh, for somebody who doesn't know, um, tell us a little bit about uh, the two podcasts that you have and, and the YouTube channel. 
Oh, sure. Absolutely. So Aviation News Talk is uh, the podcast that I spend most of my time on, and it is focused strictly on general aviation. So there are a lot of aviation podcasts that you know, cover, you know, the full, the full breadth of topics. Once again, I'm specializing, <laughs> you know, I, I want people to know that when they come here, we're not going to be talking about the military, the airlines, we're just going to be talking about GA. Strong focus on safety, strong focus on uh, technical skills. Uh, basically, we go through the news at the beginning of the show and then drill down into a topic in depth. Uh, and what I, the feedback I've gotten from people uh, is that, by going in depth like that, almost everybody feels that they've learned at least one or new two one or two new things uh, in each of the shows, uh, which which I think is good. Uh, even experienced pilots are coming back and going, "Yeah, I wasn't going to listen to that, but then I discovered, whoa, there was even more about this, you know, that I didn't know." So I really do a, a deep dive on each of the. Uh, topics. And then often I'm doing research and I'm learning things that I didn't know, you know, myself. So it's, that's beneficial. And then I'm also a co-host on the Airplane Geeks podcast. That's one of the longest running podcasts, uh, about 11 years now. Uh, we're well up to 600 and some, you know, episodes. Uh, that podcast does cover the full range of, uh, you know, aviation and it's a little bit more focused on guests. We typically have a guest every week, whereas Aviation News Talk often is just me uh, talking. And then for the YouTube channel, that's generally just a spinoff of things that I have done on the, uh, the podcast. So for some of the uh, topics, we'll, I'll just go ahead and add you know, video and photos and things like that to, to make it more interesting. So that's, that's what I'm doing these days. So most of my time is at Aviation News Talk. And I'm assuming they can uh, they can get access to those podcasts on all the major formats. Yep, wherever you get a podcast, or just go out to aviationnewstalk.com, and you'll find all kinds of links to it there. Any other projects or final thoughts you might have? Boy, I think we've kind of covered the the gamut here. I guess the uh, the, the final thought is, uh, you know, during these times of COVID, you know, continue to practice the same kind of risk management you do when you teach and when you fly uh, with regard to COVID as well. So these days when I'm in the cockpit, I'm fully masked up. My clients are fully masked up. Uh, and just literally two days ago, I had an email uh, that came through that one of the uh, CFIs who teaches where I teach had a client who caught COVID uh, and uh, the CFI removed himself from the schedule as, you know, quarantining at home for a few days. So, you know, it's serious business and I would just, you know, urge people to uh, treat it the same way they treat any risk management issue when they're flying. Mm -hmm. That's good advice. Very good advice. 